G'day folks, welcome to the Expedition Kayaks podcast, our periodical chat about our paddling world, ocean paddling, the stuff we like to get up to, some of our mates' yarns, a few of our tales, and generally all things sea kayaking and ocean paddling. My name's Mark Sundon, I'll be joined from time to time by my rather more podcasting shy buddy Rob Mercer to... uh, to chat about the world we inhabit and uh, and hopefully uh, entertain you with a few of our tales. You can listen to us now on any of your podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're everywhere. Uh, not quite like Google, but pretty damn close. I hope you enjoy the latest episode, the Audax Azure. a little bit of a break because the paddling season is upon us the weather's come good here in sydney not that it's ever that bad and um we've been really busy the last uh over the last month with our new sea kayak the audax azure it's uh following on from our very successful audax um and it's a boat designed for for paddlers maybe not as uh well, I guess not as big an engine as the audax something that we've always felt pretty strongly about that that, that not one kayak should be made that suits everybody because it's almost impossible considering the weight variations and things um and i'm joined by rob who obviously was the the driving force behind the design rob g'day g'day mark um so the audax azure smaller design why didn't we just call it the audax lv Good question, Mark. The reason behind that was as the boat evolved, as the design of the boat evolved, it became quite clear that it had its own personality, if you like, its own unique um, way of performing in the, in the sea, particularly in amongst the waves. And um, not only did it have a different target market, but it also had a very, a very different way of paddling. Not, still, still captured the essence of what we really enjoy with the bigger boat, but... There was enough different about it where we thought it was entitled to have its own name. So LV, I guess, when we think historically, has been a small version of um, some of the boats we sold over the years, like Tide Racers, low-volume boats. They're, they're quite different, aren't they, to the big one? Yeah, I mean, to varying degrees. There's the, In some of the ranges that they've had in the past, the as they've changed in volume, the whole character of the boat has changed. Others like, say, the Pace 17, um, is more of a faithful scaling of the original design. Um, having, having said that, in that process, given that certain dimensions have to stay similar and other dimensions can be changed quite a lot, there, there always seems to be some change in the character of the boat. And certainly if you look at boats like the Valley Avocet LV, which is probably the all-time lowest volume boat commercially available for sea kayakers um, it it clearly has a very different line and a very different way of paddling um, to uh, the bigger boat of the same name so there is that that dilemma some of them are, are more obviously scaled others are almost starting with the needs of lighter weight paddlers and and working from that point towards a well-resolved design. So considering in the short history of the Audax, some of the most um, breathtaking feats achieved in it, 
here, and I'm thinking Sean Gresser paddling direct and non-stop across Bass Strait. Uh, well below, really, our target weight for the Audax. Nick, Nick Blacklock chugging off a 10.5-hour, 111-kilometre <laughs> Hawkesbury Classic, who also well below our target weight for the Audax. Why, uh, you know, why did we bother? Who, who, who do you reckon, who was this for, really? Well, I think a couple of things there. Firstly, you've got, you've got um, differences in strength. I mean, both Sean and Nick paddle very aggressively. Um, uh, very very powerful paddlers also at the time that was that was the boat of choice uh, because it was the boat that most closely uh, satisfied their needs um, in Sean's case given given the length of the of the um, effort and and the need to be relatively comfortable I think the overall bigger size of the bigger boat probably made it comfortable for such a long long trip and given that she carried a fair few uh, bits and pieces with her. I think she was pretty happy to use the big one. That's the feedback I've had from her. Nick, on the other hand, I think might have been uh, sorely tempted by a smaller, a smaller, slipperier boat, given that he had 111 kilometres of uh, gruelling flat water and tidally affected water to grind his way through. So part of the answer would be just availability, and the other part of the answer would be um, suitability in terms of um, really lo- a really long time on the water. Having that extra volume, even if it was not an optimum, would not be optimum for a day trip or even a short expedition. Um, Sean may have very well still opted for the bigger one, just for the uh, for the extra volume and the and the comfort the extra volume offered her for that trip. So I know on our Bass Strait trip we had. Well, my boat and the Don's boat and Gaza and Andrew, all, all up around 100 kilos, all with 35 kilos worth of gear. But I didn't feel for a second like I was getting over the top of its weight range in the full-sized Audax. <clears throat> yeah, look, I mean, I, I recently did a trip with Sharon. I'm, I'm almost 90 kilograms and I had, I had 30 litres of water, <clears throat> two, two weeks worth of food. Plus all the camping, plus all my camping gear. Did you take your egg thing. I didn't. You didn't no, take no. your egg thing. No, no, no I didn't no. take. No, the, I good. didn't take fresh eggs. Yeah. That, so those dozen eggs that smashed inside your boat yeah. that day—that's yeah. the last time you've ever seen that. Yeah. That's ever hasn't made it on a trip again since. Uh, no, not really. Actually, although I noticed you guys were quite happy to spit out the broken eggshells <laughs> and in, enjoy the scrambled eggs I made, so wasn't completely wasted. Okay, I'll just check it, mate. You know, yeah, you do you carry some right. stuff? That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got we've got the, the the prototype built based on the principles that that we need to have something that's a bit a little less exposed to wind, and that that helps somebody who might not be quite as powerful in the water to not be affected by by external forces like a side wind, for example. How do you test that? You need a very brave band of test paddlers, really. Um, because you can't give them any guarantees as to how your prototypes are going to perform until you stick them in the boat. And um, then you need to expose them to a wide range of conditions. You also want a wide range of abilities. And it doesn't hurt if they've got a wide range of expectations so that you can start off with their expectation, which might be, I want a boat that's less boat to push around, that feels more compact, that uh, feels more snug, 
that responds really quickly to my uh, input, both with my, my body and with my blade. All of those are things that you, that you, you want to uh, be able to test. And I think if, if nothing else, what we have been quite meticulous with, with both our products so far, is really working hard to, uh, to have our test paddlers um, uh, direct the process to an extent. And, and I think this, this boat was a, a very, very good example of where our, our prototype testers at times were actually calling the shots for where we went next with the design. It also really helps if you can paddle alongside them because you can, you can often see things they can't see about how the boat's working. We used videos quite a bit so we could go back and study how the boat would respond in various wave patterns and wind conditions and uh, also just get an idea of how comfortable people were while they were paddling the boat. So all of that all of that process is, is, is both really interesting but really uh, time-consuming. I mean, when I first jumped in it, it with my weight, it felt okay. I felt like I was probably a little low in the water for it, but it was hard to turn because I had so much of it down in the water, especially at the stern, whereas someone 65 kilos hopped in and the thing became quite manoeuvrable. They were able to free the stern up and get it to turn quite easily. It was something I couldn't do. So that tells you straight away, it ain't really my boat at 95, 97 kilograms. Yeah, look, it, obviously if you're, if you're getting up over the 95 kilogram mark, even empty, when you edge it, you're still ending up with yet another set of, um, of keel lines in the water. Essentially, you've, you've dropped it off its keel onto its gunnel and now it's tracking along happily on its gunnel. So obviously, when that happens, you know that you've, um, you've overloaded the boat. Um, having, having said that, it probably still feels like it probably still feels like a um, probably still feels like a a um, a loaded boat. Yeah. I mean, at ninety five kilograms, it's not it's not no, it's no, not going to be no, that's right. a complete log. Yeah, but that's right. If you throw big edges in, you're not going to get big turns. Yeah. Um, and so, a sixty kilogram person or a seventy kilogram person with thirty kilograms of gear. Yeah. or 40 kilograms of gear is going to have a similar experience. Um, so it'll track harder, it'll hold track, a line, do track, all the things you want a full boat to do. Yeah, track harder, hold a line. Yeah. But it's still not impossible to turn. I didn't see you I didn't see you struggling to get it around. You just weren't able to skid it around. No, that's right. I wasn't able to do those fancy things. Hmm. You know? <laughs> so we, we had a lot of people try it. Um, you know, People who haven't done any sea kayaking at all, who are small, um, people in the upper end of the weight range. Um, it was a pretty good prototype, this one, compared to the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the actual prototype boat that we put together at least had a, a reasonable amount of integrity. I can remember one of the um, original prototype boats that we made of the full-size Audax was just made out of two layers of uh, fairly thin chop strand mat. I painted it. You painted it with house paint? House paint. Yeah. To try and um, make yeah. up for the lack of gel coat. By the way, I'm actually an excellent kayak painter. If anyone out there is looking for a paint job on yeah. there, but yeah. unfortunately you've got to use Dulux. You know, some of it, some of it ends up on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and we can all tell Mark's been painting that. 
Sometimes for quite a few days after, yeah, in fact. Yeah, that's yeah. All that, that's all that white stuff in my head. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If anyone's asking. Yeah. Um, yeah, Andrew had a funny story, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Andrew, um, I took him out in the, uh, the original full-size Audax for a bit of a spin. Um, and it was a fairly, fairly substantial um, set of conditions on that day. Um, well, well over two metres of sea and quite a strong wind. So we were we were bouncing our way down the coast, and um, and he just said, sort of said to me, "Well, how strong is this thing? It does it, it feels like it's sort of oil cans over every wave." Nice. Said to him, "What? What is it filling up with water already?" <laughs> and um, he suddenly decided it was time to go home. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He paddled yeah. a bit harder. He paddled a lot that. harder after that. In fact, even if there'd been water getting in, I think it would have been draining out just under the sheer force of his of his <laughs> efforts to get home. Like a venturi. It was. <laughs> one huge venturi. Yeah. So feedback from people in the test phase? What what did people kind of say that maybe changed our minds or your mind about about this whole thing? Yeah, well, one of the big bugbears with smaller paddlers often, and lighter paddlers anyway, is, is that the boats are a bit corky. They sit a bit high in the water. They're, they're, they're adversely affected by the wind. Um, either, either the wind gets under the bow of the boat and lifts, lifts the bow, paddling into the wind. Um, they, they, they blow offline, either weather cocking or lee cocking, depending on how they're, how they're balanced and set up. Um, so we were very, very keen to make sure that this boat performed well in the wind for a for a lighter paddler as well as as well as in the waves the wind creates so we were looking at windage as well as the 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 hull performance and certainly we we brought the bow down a little bit so that it's uh less less exposed to the breeze um then of course it does mean that there's the risk of a wetter ride so we made the bow a little bit fuller and uh Made the seat forward as well. Moved the seat forward as we made the bow fuller and uh, got the boat to trim to trim really nicely in, in a range of sea conditions um, without, without um, having to present such a target for the breeze. Um, and uh, it's a surprisingly fast boat into the wind as well as downwind. Uh, we were always expecting good downwind performance and... We, People, you or my size, have always found the Audax surprisingly good at all quarters. So that was one of the aims with this, was to provide that same experience for lighter paddlers. So just to keep it in line, keep it tracking, we veed up the stern a little more. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was something we found, wasn't it? The, yeah. the, the looseness of the, of the full-sized Audax is something that smaller paddlers can have a few problems with. Yeah, so certainly by by increasing increasing the V from just aft of the midsection right through to the stern, the boat tracks a little harder even without gear in it for a lighter paddler, and that um, that makes the boat feel very steady in cross chop and cross winds. So it looks beautiful. Yeah, I I, but, I love the lines of it. But like when the Taran turned up, you know, years ago. We had people saying, I'm sure it does whatever you say it does, but gee, it's ugly. <laughs> and I think people don't tend to say that so often now that they've become accustomed to the to the shape. People have looked at the way the Audax is finished and said, my God, it's well built. Look at how beautiful it's built. Look at that. But I've never, people people are less complimentary about the, the, the shape 
as a lag from the classical Greenland style upswept bow that you get used to. This one, on the other hand, suddenly everyone's gone kind of gaga over the way it looks. It's quite amazing. Yeah, it's, it's funny how, as a, as a bit of a, almost an unintended consequence of, of working with proportions that have made the boat a little, sit a little easier in the sea and, and, um, and work a little, a little more gently with the sea, we've, we've ended up with a boat that is actually a lot easier on the eye as well. It's, it lacks some of that brutal utilitarian line that almost all the fast touring boats have it some, from some angles. This one actually looks pretty nice from all angles. That could just be that we're, we're blinded to the, to our, you know, the virtues of our own creation here, but we have had a lot of outsiders, people who aren't even interested in buying a boat, but, are, but have an eye for boat design, who've complimented us on how good the boat looks. So that's a, that's a nice little spin-off. Yeah, they do look quite different when you sit them side by side. When we first put the, the, the first boat off the production run down against the old one, or the, the, the big Ordax, it, it was amazing to see that the, they are very different in many respects. So we've changed the way we build these boats in the last, uh, in the last six months or so. We've, we've whittled away one of our options. We used to have three options, which one of which was a heavy version. And in all the scores of Ordaxes that are out there in the world now, there's only one that was ordered in the heavy layup, so we figured people don't really want that. Um, and then after chatting extensively with, with Peter McDonald um, about what he thought would work best, we've arrived at two layups for the, uh, for the Ordax and the, the new Ordax Azure. You're probably better qualified to talk about them, Rob. Yeah, look, the, essentially they're both infused layups. They both um, have a Soric core. And the, the biggest difference is the, um, the number of, the, the combination of different materials. There's more expensive materials that give a slightly better um, strength to weight ratio in the Ultra versus the Elite. But we've, um, we've come to the conclusion that we, uh, we've got a weight range that we can work with safely. Um, you can certainly build boats lighter than than these boats, but you can't. We, we haven't been able to work out a way that you could confidently build boats lighter that satisfy all of the requirements of a genuine open water sea kayak. And that's the scenario where you've got two lines of breakers to get through on a remote beach with a boat full of gear, getting thumped in sideways, negotiating a shore break which may well have a nice big rock at the end of it and a boat that you would hope in most circumstances are going to survive that. And that's what our elite layup is in our eyes. We, we think it's about as strong and light as you can make a boat that's designed to do serious things um, and, and be very durable. So um, we often get asked, why don't you make a really light one? Well, we could make a really light one, um, but gee, you'd have to use it light. And I think that's the, that's the, monk, the elephant in the room with, with light, light sea kayaks. Um, if you want light, then you better be prepared to use it light, otherwise you'll pay the price for it. Um, so it's been out now for 10 days, yep. out on the water, yep. being test paddled in daily, if not more, by, by a bunch of people. What do they think? What do people think? These are people who haven't tried it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> because the boat is narrower, 
And it's certainly noticeable when you sit in the boat and look forward, you notice that the paddle strike area, the, the area where you're going to put the blade in the water across, across the bow of the boat, is, uh, is steeper and narrower, um, which is also really nice because you can get such a close catch. Um, but it does, it does give the impression that you're paddling something very fast. Um, and one of our initial concerns might be that that, that, that fast, racy look and feel might also intimidate a few people. But so far, people have been pleasantly surprised with the uh, level of stability that we've been able to retain, considering how, how narrow and, and racy the boat really, really is for a sea kayak. Well, it's not that long ago that they used to say, if it's not 60 centimetres wide, it's not seaworthy, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> to 10, 15 years ago, that was one of the, the sort of the minimum requirements that a lot of people would put on buying a kayak is it has to be 60 centimetres or it won't be stable enough. So um, it's out. We've, uh, we've got our production sorted now to the point where we are hoping to have a six-week turnaround. Certainly, at the minute, that's about what we're on to. Um, uh, the Audax blew out very quickly to be a lot longer than that um, once once people tried it and, and, the, and our orders started to, to come in. But uh, we're fairly confident the way we are now set up to build these boats. We've got two two excellent boat builders building our boats dedicated to them. Um, so for the time being, we're, we're aiming for, for six weeks delivery. Um, the demo's here in Sydney. It's a beautiful looking neon green and grey and white demo um, and if you'd like to try one give us a shout come on down we'll take you out for a nice day on the water and uh, get to see what all the fuss is about with the new Audax Azure. Anything else Rob about the boat that you wanted to? Oh I think I think <clears throat> one of the most interesting things about the boat so far really has been that you can if, if you start if you start with with a very clear idea of who you're building the boat for and you consult with that same group of people throughout the process um, then you then you far more likely to hit the spot than if you just go off on your own and and hope that somehow you've got the boat right um, and it it never ceases to amaze me how if you build a boat that allows people or opens up opportunities for people to either go faster or, or, or take on bigger challenges, that they'll do the rest. So in many ways, the, what really has driven the success of the first boat, and I'm sure the second boat will follow, is, is actually the people who get out there and give it a try and realise that this boat's going to take them places or allow them to do things that they had previously only hoped they'd be able to do. In good style. In good style. In good style. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, Rob. Short, a short cast today, just just a, a little bit of news. Um, it's a much longer tale than, 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 than 20 minutes on a podcast, obviously. Um, the story of the Audax is worthy of a couple of big ones, and we've told the tale around the country at a few events and things, and people always have lots of questions. I don't think they quite realise what's involved in um, designing and bringing to market a brand new sea kayak, especially one that's intended to be made here in Australia, as both of our boats are now. Um, and as I said, if you want to find out what all the fuss is about, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs>